continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 5, uh, verse 13. And we'll pick up there in a moment, Galatians 5, 13. Uh, and if I think of it next week, I'll actually bring some Bibles. I was a follower of Jesus for years uh, before I actually owned a Bible or opened the scriptures. And it was a very new world to me, very disorienting. Uh, but a great journey to be on. So um, we'll bring some of those next week for any of you who don't have a Bible or maybe who have friends or family members who would like their first copy of the scriptures. Uh, I have so enjoyed the series that we've been in together through the book of Galatians. Uh, It's been very shaping for me. I've so enjoyed just exploring the nature of uh, God's grace together with you as a community. And I'm I'm excited to continue on that journey this morning. Uh, As followers of Jesus, we believe that we are called to neighborhoods and nations. We believe that Jesus was serious when he said to go into all of the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Uh, We believe that each of us is called, not the professional Christians, not the people on staff at a church, but every single follower of Jesus is called to follow after Jesus in the Great Commission, that each one of us is called to a neighborhood uh, and a nation to bring this this message of salvation of what Jesus has done uh, into the world. Uh, And we believe, uh, as Paul teaches in Galatians, that it really is good news that we're carrying. It's not good advice. Uh, It's a proclamation. It's, It's the stunning truth of what happens when we place our faith in Christ. And the Bible says we become new creations. The old is gone, uh, the new has come. Our old selves are done away with, our sin, our shame, our former way of life, uh, all of it. And we receive righteousness and salvation uh, from God as a free gift from Him. That's the power of the cross. Uh, We don't have to earn it. We don't have to labor under any law or moral or religious code. Uh, It's a free gift of God and a very costly gift but a free one. Uh, And so this this gospel, this royal announcement, this good news uh, about Jesus becoming king over the world uh, actually includes uh, this declaration that those who come under his kingship, uh, who recognize him as the crucified and risen uh, Messiah, are, are actually changed as they come into his kingship. We're actually regenerated in the power of the Spirit. We're declared righteous, which is amazing. Uh, We're set free. We're included in Christ, and therefore we share uh, in what he has. Uh, No longer are we under the law, Paul says. That was before Christ. Now we're under grace. It's part of the beauty of God's inbreaking kingdom as it comes into our lives. But that leaves us with an important question. You see, some people are rather uneasy about the grace of God. It, It seems a little too radical, uh, that we would be declared righteous uh, apart from what we've done uh, as a gift. And it seems that being free from any form of law would simply leave us uh, all the more vulnerable to sin. If we really are completely and utterly free in Christ with an unchanging righteousness in him, then the question that arises in some people's minds is, well, well, why shouldn't I live in sin? What's keeping me from doing that or embracing that lifestyle? If the gospel is as radical as you say it is, it would seem that this grace of God is a rather dangerous thing. 
And so Paul's going to speak into that this morning, but not by retreating one inch from what he's already said, but by showing us another way forward. This is Galatians 5 verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you cannot do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like, that, like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Uh, I'll pray for us one more time and then we'll jump in. Lord, we uh, look to you and we ask that you would come now, that you would um, shape us, that you would um, grow us in your likeness, that you would grow us in your love, that you would really um, get hold of us, Lord, in the deep places of our lives, maybe even places that we are uh, afraid to let you into, places that we've been withholding uh, from your kingship, from your touch, from your spirit. And we pray uh, that you would just find open doors and open hearts here, that you would walk among us and that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul explains grace and the freedom that we have in Christ, many people are shocked by the actual freedom that we do have in him. We are declared righteous in Christ, made righteous in Christ, included in him, uh, apart from works of the law, uh, apart from our own sin or lack of sin, those things have no bearing on our righteous standing in Christ. And we are so free, we're so secure in the grace of God that even when we do sin, it doesn't detract, it doesn't take us out of Christ. Even when we sin, we're still in Christ. We're still declared righteous in God's eyes. Before Jesus, we, we were in a desperate situation. There was nothing that we could do, good or bad, to make ourselves righteous in God's eyes, uh, regardless of what we did. And now in Jesus, the opposite is true. We have an unshakable righteousness before God, regardless of what we do, which really gives us a remarkable degree of freedom. But the question then becomes, what should we do with all of that freedom? Uh, you can imagine someone who uh, is, is being released from prison. 
maybe before their sentence is up and they're saying, someone comes in and says, hey, we're releasing you from prison. You don't have to serve the rest of your sentence. And not only that, but we're granting you immunity, meaning that you can never be sent back to prison again. Doesn't matter what you do, you'll never be incarcerated in prison again. So, so tomorrow we're going to release you with that freedom, with that immunity. Well, one of the things that that prisoner would have to be wrestling with is, how am I going to use my freedom and use my immunity when I get out on the other side? What's life going to look like? I, technically, it sounds like I'm now free to go back and commit the same acts that landed me in prison in the first place without repercussion. Is that what I should do? What, what should I do with this radical freedom that I'm being given? And Paul's resounding answer throughout this letter is that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, we aren't to go back to the way things were before. We aren't to go back to living in bondage under the law or our own moral or religious code or bondage under sin, which is where we were when Jesus found us, or even bondage to our own flesh, with this, which the scripture decides is sort of the, uh, describes as sort of the, the corrupted part uh, of our humanity. And Paul says that before Jesus, you were ruled by those things. Uh, you, you were imprisoned under sin. You were in bondage under the law. You were in bondage to your own flesh or this corrupted part of you. Uh, we were actually slaves to those things. Uh, and, and as slaves to those things, they, they got to say what we would do. They would lead us from place to place. Sin and, and our flesh would just kind of command us as slaves Hey, now go and do this. Oh, okay. Now, now come over here. Follow me. Come do this. We were led in bondage from one place to another. And Paul says, these are some of the things that you used to be in bondage to, that, that, that you used to be led into as a slave to sin and death. He says, the acts of the flesh or our, our corrupted nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, hey, hey, that's, that's who we were. That's how we used to live. And in our former lives, it was very natural to obey those impulses. In fact, being enslaved to them, we could hardly resist them or find the power to say no. As I reflect back on my own life before Jesus, now, as an atheist, uh, apart from maybe witchcraft and, uh, and fits of rage, this list basically sums it up for me. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, drunkenness. And I can read that list and, and, and say, yep, that, that was pretty much college for me, especially in those early years. And, and so our basic impulse as human beings is to see those things, to see those patterns of sin, to see people in bondage to the law, in bondage to their own corrupted nature. And our impulse is to apply religious law to that situation. Thou shall not covet. Uh, you shall not get drunk. You shall not engage in sexual immorality. You shall have no idol before God. Uh, and, and so on. And, and we think that's how we're going to fix it. That's how we're going to clean up this mess. And yet we know through uh, the story of Israel and their experience and in, even from our own experience that it doesn't get the job done. It just doesn't work. 
Uh, the law, Paul says, it, it only brought death. It, it actually tends to get us focused on the wrong things. Uh, the more someone says, don't covet, the more our minds react against it. And the more we're act- our focus actually begins to shift to the very thing that we're not supposed to covet. In fact, as, so- as soon as someone tells us that we can't do something or we shouldn't do something, Typically, there's this rebellious part in us that rises up and wants to push back. We want it all the more because the law says that we shouldn't. The last few weeks have uh, highlighted some of the racism that is still present in our country. And it's so heartbreaking. It's so lamentable. Uh, We're called as followers of Jesus to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. And there's a lot of that happening right now. And, and there's this sense a- across most of the spectrum uh, that, that this needs to be dealt with. We long for the end of racism. We, we hate that that's still a reality. Many of us are, are yearning to say, hey, what can we do? What can we do to be part of the solution and not part of the problem? It needs to be fixed, but how? How do you fix something like that? How do we go about that? I think there's tons of people who are talking about that and wrestling with that. And certainly we can start by acknowledging that there are some laws and policies that can be put into place to protect those who are most vulnerable. And, and, and I'm all for that. I would vote those in right now, today, given the chance. I think that's a great starting point. But we also have to acknowledge that no matter how much we hate racism, no matter how much we legislate against it through law, it will continue to be a problem because the problem is in the human heart. We can start with law. God does. That's what God did with his people. He started with law. But but what we see is that, hey, that actually doesn't get the job done. It's a great starting point, but it's not actually going to transform the human heart. It's not going to get at the deeper issue. It, it, it might help highlight evil. It might even help to restrain evil. Uh, it's better than nothing, but it doesn't unleash the good. It, it doesn't actually transform the human heart. So let's start with good laws and policies, but we have to recognize that will never be the end of it. Uh, that, that will never be enough to solve the problems that we're facing. And you could apply that same logic to anything to racism, to lust, to idolatry, to greed, to whatever the problem is that we might be trying to address in our society, in our own lives, in our community, at any level. At best, the law might help to highlight evil, bring it into the light, and restrain a bit of it. But too often, sadly, the law can sometimes leave us worse off because religious law tends to provoke sin in our hearts. The only true solution, Paul says, is to be born again. To become a new creation in Christ. To to receive radical transformation in the power of the Spirit. And Paul says, when this happens, you are reborn. You're you're remade. Your old self is put to death. In the passage we read this morning, Paul reminds us that those who belong to Christ have have crucified the flesh, the corrupted part of us, with its passions and desires, and we now live by the Spirit. And elsewhere, Paul says, when this happens, sin shall no longer be master over you. 
You're no longer enslaved to the things that enslaved you before. But how do we use uh, this, this freedom? Well, well, first, before we even think about that, we have to start by recognizing that, that Paul's starting point is always to point out what's true. He, he, doesn't, he never starts by telling us what to do. He always starts by pointing out what's true. And that's where we have to start. He, he announces what is already true for everyone who's given their lives to Jesus. If you're in Christ, then these things are true of you. You have been reborn. Your old self has been done away with. Your flesh has been crucified. Uh, these, these are past tense historical events that have happened if you're in Christ. That's already true of every follower of Jesus. You are free from sin. You are free from the law. You're no longer under the power of those things. That's a fact. It's true of every single follower of Jesus by grace as a gift. You're free. But how do we use our freedom? Paul says we respond, we use our freedom by embracing the new life that has already taken root within us. We respond by keeping in step with the spirit. That's our role. That's our part to play in, in this life of discipleship. Paul says you already live by the spirit. The spirit, if you're in Christ, the spirit is the one giving you life and breath and, and animating all that life you have. It comes from the spirit. So, so now you, you walk by the spirit. You pay attention to the spirit. You grow in your sensitivity to the spirit. And, and as you do that, as you make it your aim to say, I, I'm going to walk moment by moment with this growing awareness of the spirit of God inside me. I'm going to, I'm going to use my freedom to focus on the spirit. All you do is you focus on Jesus. You focus on the spirit and everything else starts to fall into place. If you're doing that and you're growing in intimacy with God, you're going to walk in righteousness. So if you're, if you're walking by the spirit, it, it's, it's a completely separate lifestyle from gratifying the flesh. You will walk in righteousness. And, and to the point where Paul is so confident, he says, if you're walking with the spirit, you're not under the law. You have no need for the law. All you have to do is focus on the spirit. So as followers of Jesus, we, we don't focus on a moral or religious code. We actually focus on a person. We grow in intimacy with God. And out of that, everything else flows. We, we begin to walk in righteousness. We begin to bear real fruit for God as the Spirit transforms us. It says, you focus on the Spirit and all of a sudden this fruit begins to emerge. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things just start to happen because you're full of the Spirit as we stick close to Jesus. The law, Paul reminds us, was, was actually powerless to change us. It only provoked us to sin because of the weakened state of humanity. But the Spirit, on the other hand, is completely adequate to change us from the inside out. The Spirit bring, brings a remarkable change. We might say a supernatural change. The power to live a new type of life. I mentioned earlier that my uh, college experience was one of indulging the flesh. Uh, I, I was experiencing just about everything on that list. Drunkenness, idolatry, debauchery, all of it. 
But partway through my experience, about a year in, uh, I encountered Jesus and, and I confessed him as Lord and Savior. I, I committed my life to following after him. And, and I didn't know how to describe the change that happened in that moment. I think years later, I can look back and actually have language for it. In the moment, I didn't have language for it. But what was happening is that I was being reborn, remade. I was, I was being filled with the Spirit. My old self, in, in a moment of time, was done away with. I had a new type of life uh, inside of me. I'd received the Holy Spirit. And it's fascinating looking back because this incredible change took place in my life uh, almost overnight. I, I began to feel conviction about the way that I was living, about the things that I was doing. And the remarkable thing is, no one explained those things to me. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't, I didn't have a Bible. I, I didn't have a list of rules that said, do this, don't do this. All I had was this confession and the Spirit of God within me. But all of a sudden, this new life within me felt completely at odds, at tension with the way that I'd been living. And, and so overnight, I felt this conviction, and, and as I felt that, there was just this release. It, it was remarkable in my mind how easily I was able to walk away from those things in the power of the Spirit. Just say, ah, oh, that just doesn't make sense with who you are, God. That just doesn't line up with the life that I have in me. That, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't sit well with, with the Spirit that is inside of me. I really ought to, I just knew I had to give up a bunch of those things. And, and it worked in a way that, that a, a moral or religious law never would have worked to change those things in my life. I might still be struggling with them today had it been a, hey, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, grind your teeth, try as hard as you can. No, that's not the, that's not the life that we live. That's not what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Paul says, walk in step with the Spirit, and, and that other stuff is going to fall away. Our job is to focus on the Spirit, uh, to, to grow in intimacy with God, and out of that comes fruit that we could never bear under the law. In fact, Paul tells us that the law could never impart life. It, it was powerless to do that. Humanity is in such a corrupted state that the law has no power to change us, but the Spirit does. You stick close to Jesus and he'll impart new life. He'll give you his Spirit. And as you walk in step with the Spirit, focus on the Spirit, enjoy life in the Spirit, the byproduct is that you'll begin bearing fruit for the Spirit. You, you spend time with the one who is the source of all patience and kindness and goodness, and, and over time, all of a sudden, you start to look patient and kind and good because his very spirit is inside of you, giving life, bearing fruit. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, don't place yourself under a moral code. Don't say, right, I'm, I'm a Christian. I ought to be good. I ought to be moral. I'll post this list on my wall, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do, thou shall be good today, thou shall be faithful, thou shall be patient. We don't post a list of moral rules and say, today I'm under this code, this is, this is how I'm to live. 
We, we don't even just pray for those things. God, would you make me patient today? God, would you make me kind? That's closer to what Paul's getting at. But, but I think what Paul's getting at is, is even simpler than that. I think it's even more profound. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I think the invitation is to, to just wake up and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you've made me righteous. That before I even get out of bed, I'm full of your life. I'm full of your righteousness, Lord. Lord, I, I want to just surrender to you today. I, I want more of you and less of myself. Lord, Lord, would you fill me with, with your infinite spirit? Would I just have a sense of your presence today? Would, would I have the ability to just behold you, to enjoy you, to have this sense of your nearness? Lord, Lord as, as I get out of bed, as I begin to go about my day, would it just be with this simple and effortless sense that, hey, you're with me. Just, just fill me with your spirit as we go. Lord, Lord, if you're close to me, if we're walking together, if I'm beholding you, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be faithful. I won't even have to think about those things, Lord. But what I want to think about is you. Would you, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you empower me in your spirit? I, I look to you now, Jesus. There's, there's no better way to live. There is no better way to live than the spirit-filled life. Lord, can I taste that today? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we again, just turn our hearts and minds toward you. Uh, as we worship, Lord, we just have a sense, a really simple sense that uh, your presence is, is just falling on this place. God, sometimes I'm so quick to uh, overcomplicate things uh, or place myself under a moral or religious law because I'm convinced uh, that's, the only, that's the only way um, I, that I need those, the, need those guardrails. That's the only way to be safe. That's the only way to be guided. And yet in reality, Lord, it, it, it's simpler than that. You, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. The more we're full of your spirit, the more we walk by the spirit, the less we'll even think about indulging the desires of the flesh. Lord, thank you for making us righteous, uh, for freeing us from bondage to sin. Lord, some of us are here this morning and we hear things like that and say, I don't feel like I'm free from sin. I feel like I'm still in bondage to sin. Uh, Lord, for all of those who have placed uh, themselves in Christ, uh, God, you say that's true. Would we, would we reckon that to be true? Would we wake up to the truth of that statement that though we might, some of us might feel trapped in patterns of sin, the reality is that we're actually free in your spirit. The reality is that the prison door in front of us is actually unlocked and we can go forward and just kind of put pressure, lean on that door. It'll swing open in the power of your name. And Lord, would you uh, teach us, truly, would we grasp in, in, in our heart of hearts that your way of life is the best way of life? Huh. That life outside of our prisons is the best place to be, that it's really for freedom that you've set us free. 
not so we'd wander back into slavery, but so that we might enjoy our freedom to the fullest. Lord, sometimes we get tripped up for years or even decades because we're not convinced that your freedom is the best place to live. We're convinced that going back into bondage is actually freedom. Lord, wake us up this morning in the power of the Spirit. We don't want to waste years. We don't want to waste decades because we've misunderstood where true freedom is. Romans 8 says that the mind governed by the flesh, ruled by it, guided by it, is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Which one of us here this morning, Jesus, doesn't want life, doesn't want peace? As we worship you, Lord, we invite you to guide us into that life, to guide us into that peace, Lord, uh, to break strongholds, to change our minds in terms of what's the best way to live and where true freedom is found. May we be people who, who don't run back to sin, who don't run back to the law, but who are completely free in your spirit, who live in that life, who live in that peace, who live in that joy, in your power, and in your name we pray. Amen.